Welcome to this podcast from Third Flatiron of a weird tale of the Old West. They say trains built the West, but they also transported a strange assortment of passengers, including hunting parties shooting buffalo out the windows. We present Celinda Tyson's story, The Hunt, in which a spirit of nature decides to put in a discouraging word. Celinda grew up near Pennsylvania Amish country and began writing while living in San Francisco and working for a small newswire. She took Marta Randall's science fiction fantasy workshop at UC Berkeley Extension. This story first appeared in the anthology Principia Ponderosa. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our feed. You can support our podcasts at patreon.com slash thirdflatiron. And now, here's The Hunt by Celinda Tyson. The Hunt by Celinda Tyson The grandmother breathed out slowly, squeezing a drop of blood from her finger onto the ground, summoning and shaping her servant, whirling across the prairie, slamming together tumbleweeds and shed snakeskins and earth to form horse and rider. She who served the grandmother rode fast and furious. Her spirit horse was made of mesquite bark, spines of saguaro, tumbleweeds, dust devils, rattlesnake skins, and the warm south wind. It skimmed the tall prairie grass, the plains, the mesas, and arroyos. The servant rode bareback, her black and white and sage-green hair streaming behind her like a great serpent rushing through the air. Once human herself, the servant now served the balance of the human and the natural. Her bones, her hair, her soul, and that of her steed knew, because they were joined in a vast awareness that held time like a toy, that their passage carried them over the dried-up seas of an ancient time where great flesh-eating lizards had roamed the lush jungles and fern forests. The great bloodlusty predators and kin had gobbled many species of smaller, milder temperament, who did nothing more violent than rip aquatic plants from marsh bottoms. But when catastrophe darkened the earth, cutting the vast plant supplies the vegetarian lizards lived on, they and the predators had died out, starving in agony, a slow, merciless death in a drying and cooling time. And the rat-like mammals that climbed the evolutionary tree to turn into monkeys and primates at last became human, coming to dominate all other lands and beings. Perhaps it was the fact of rats and rat nature forming the base of the tall, ancient family tree that had allowed such conniving meanness to seep into and harden in the hearts of humankind. She shook her head. Heat lightning flicked jagged spears across the sky. Thunder rumbled. The grandmother's servant tossed her train of writhing rattlesnake hair, bent over her steed's neck, and rode the wind. The Kansas-Pacific train rocked and swayed on the steel tracks. Its steam whistle screamed, The great metal wheels slowed as the engineer began breaking the engine. Scent of hot metal filled the air. Eager hunters had already opened the windows that looked north along the tracks. They propped their hunting rifles out the windows, 
sighting along the sleek, expensive barrels, adjusting sights, firing to test how the wind would affect accuracy. They licked their lips in anticipation. The herd of buffalo or bison would soon come in sight. The engineer and conductor had promised good sport. Scouts habitually rode the plains along the railroad tracks, reporting herds and their direction of travel at the nearest telegraph office. Sometimes, on their employer's orders, they drove the bison nearer the path of the train, especially if one of the big bosses was on board and eager for sport. In a car with her female companions, Lydia May Brinkman stroked her gloved hand over the stock of her Springfield single-shot rifle, moved down the aisle, and chose a window. She was a very good shot, a dead eye, and had privately bet she could outdo the men on the train. Ladies, known as Dianas, to the gents on the train, customarily claimed the meat of the hunt. Where would the buffalo meat go? That was no one's business but hers. Hunting dead ahead, the conductor yelled as he swayed down the aisle. Gentlemen, ladies, ready your rifles. Frank McRae had bet he would down the first shaggy hump, fifty gold dollars on the first kill. He had also bet on how many kills could be made in five minutes. Low wager was twenty, high wager ninety. The natives depended on the bison for food, but frankly he did not care. Dead buffalo dotting the plains would mean more meat for the pitiful tribes to scavenge, he thought. If scores were killed, could the Indians butcher them fast enough? Or would they simply draw flies, coyotes, wolves, and vultures to pick the carcasses down to bone and break down the great bodies beneath the incredible blue sky? His friend Randall Stevens balanced atop a car, braced against a rigged blind on the roof his hair ruffled by the breeze. He sought challenge to make a hunt as difficult as possible. Give the beast a chance, Stevens, the other sportsman called him. The wind had snatched his hat away. McRae whooped and put a bullet dead center through the crown of that hat, which had spun away as the locomotive snaked out across the plain. The train ran parallel to the herds that were heading south for their winter grazing grounds. Behind the thrum of the locomotive, Frank swore he felt the earth trembling. Bison herds moved in clustered thousands. A sudden stench rushed into the windows of the compartments. Excited cries came from the passengers, fingers pointed. Several dead bulls, their noses in the dirt, with crows and vultures squawking and pecking, jockeying for position on their bodies, lay beyond the tracks. Some had been cleaned to the bone. An Indian family, a horseman, a woman, and a child, was hurriedly butchering a distant beast, salvaging what they could, dragging it away on a travi. The man waved his arm at a vulture. The scavenger settled in the dry grass near a dead bull bison, its waddled, naked neck drawn into its shoulder blades, ugly beak and head bent forward, bidding its time. It shifted from foot to foot, impatient to tear into flesh and gorge. A crow screamed and flew at the train window, perhaps attacking its own reflection in the rushing glass. It shrieked again and flew upward, 
skimming Stevens's blind. Startled, he jerked upright and almost lost his balance. The crow perched on the blind and stared him down. It opened that sharp beak and made a sound like a harsh laugh. Not a crow, a raven, Stevens saw, a huge one. Rough feathering under the beak and an eerie intelligence in the bright black eye. Stevens steadied himself with his rifle butt against the roof of the car. Ravens had worked over the battlefields he had survived when he carried a rifle for the Union Army, the Grand Army of the Republic. It must have been drawn to the dead bison, he thought. He cursed the bird, spread his legs farther apart for better balance. It eyed him, let out a ravenous caw, and flew off, squirting guano over the blind. Stevens laughed. Damn birds! But he'd seen himself reflected in its eye. That bothered him, the way a thing struck him as an omen. The servant lowered her metal and leather and glass goggles from her helmet to protect her eyes and face against the sparks and iron shavings the metal wheels threw up. She rode alongside the train, keening a song of life and death, gathering the souls of the bison and the creatures who lived on them and cleaned their bones deep into her all-encompassing spirit. Ravens flew in her wake, settled on her saguaro needle shoulders, whispered in her right ear and her left ear the number of hunters, the size of the herds ahead. Report given, they launched themselves and winged ahead. In her bones of earth and air, water and fire, she saw the heart of the man atop the train, the one whose heart could be changed. She snatched a bow from the ether knocked an arrow forged from a spark of lightning and shot it straight into his chest. Stevens was knocked to his knees. My heart? He gasped for breath. A great weight pressed outward against his ribs. My God, he thought. Tears burned his eyes. He stared at his hand gripping the well-cared-for Enfield rifle the old weapon that he had cleaned and oiled so many times, carried across deadly wheat fields and into muddy, hopeless trenches. His hands shook. Bile rushed into his mouth. He flattened himself on the car's roof, praying he would live. And he knew he wasn't going to shoot buffalo, or anything, not today or tomorrow, or day after tomorrow. No matter what McCrae and the other men or ladies did or said. The servant leaped aboard the train, flinging her body through an open window, sliding over Lydia's rifle, which was pointed out a window. Women hunting, women killing. The servant spat in fury. The rattlesnakes in her hair coiled and shook their tails. She lowered her goggles, her eyes blazed. The rifle's owner fell backward into the aisle. Who the devil are you? she demanded, her eyes fixed on the snakes. Her lady companions stared spellbound. One who asks you, the intruder said, to stop killing, to give the meat to those on the reservation. You have no right to ask me anything. Leave this car or I shall scream for assistance. Lydia grabbed her rifle 
which smelled of gunpowder, broke it open and thrust in a bullet. I warn you. The stranger sighed. In her hair the snakes rose. Their rattles vibrated so fast they buzzed. Their heads and tongues darted back and forth. Sister. The stranger laughed and put her hand on Lydia's chest. The hand sunk into Lydia's flesh until it rested against her heart. Lydia gasped and fainted. The servant touched many more. Some died. Their hearts stopped. Minutes later, men and women, hunters all, now stared from the windows in awe and shock, watching in wonder as the great herd grazed. A party had left the train to butcher downed bison and carry the meat to the baggage car. They resumed their seats with shamed faces. Rifles had been unloaded, gathered, and propped against the walls, along with ammunition boxes. The conductor walked the aisles, puzzled. No more sport, he asked. Lydia shook her head. It's not sport, it's butchery. She had trouble breathing. She would never forget the apparition's touch. At the next town, the conductor told the station agent that something mighty strange had happened during the run. The doctor was called because two men and a lady had died of apparent heart failure or apoplexy. None of the passengers could or would say what happened exactly. With no one to claim it, all the buffalo meat was sent to the local orphanage and the nearest Indian reservation. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.